It's the 30A Show, presented by 30A Cottages. Beautiful homes from inlet beach to watercolor. Online, 30acottages.com. Here's your host, Corey Davis, with 30A Radio. Can I please have your attention? Stop what you're doing and listen. All right, everybody, it's the 30A Show. My name is Corey. We're broadcasting live from the 30A Radio Airstream at Gulf Place. We're at the corner of 393 and 30A. It's a great spot for us. It's a beautiful green grass over here. I've got a little view of the Gulf of Mexico out my window, and it is Shark Week on Discovery Channel right now, and I really thought we should uh, touch base with Joe Moore with Appleseed Expeditions, and it is uh, he's a marine biologist. He lives here. He knows everything about this area. So we're going to get into a little bit of a local sharkisms around here. There's always people that ask stuff, and I thought bringing Joe in would be smart. Well, it's good to be here today, and, and uh, I'd love to discuss sharks with you and, and really kind of educate people about what's going on in the Gulf of Mexico and the so types Joe, of sharks. Let, let, off, the top of the, off the top here, Joe sounds really smart already. I, he, <laughs> he, he presents well, so go ahead and tell everybody what type of marine biologist. Tell you a little bit of your background. Okay. Well... I have an environmental law bachelor degree, and then uh, my master's is in fishery science from the University of West Florida. I worked for almost five years uh, for the National Marine Fishery Service out of uh, Sandpoint Way in Seattle and Alaska as well. And uh, from that point on, I've worked uh, in the marine science world teaching students about the ocean ecosystem for the last 20 years, whether it's here or Galapagos Islands or Hawaii or Florida Keys, uh, that tends to be my specialty is teaching people about the unique habitats of the ocean, uh, encouraging them to help with conservation and protecting our ocean environment. Joe would be awful to play Scrabble with because his profession probably knows words in excess of 14 letters or longer. Is that correct? Well, things like echinoderms, chondrichthys, you know, um, those fancy words that only scientists know. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's, I think that's just so you guys can like talk, and it's like a foreign language to everybody else, and you're not going to freak us out, right? Right, so we could confuse everybody and make it kind of fun. Yeah, you're yeah. like, I think that guy has a skin rash or something. <laughs> <Right>. Anyways. <laughs> I used to love no, this. It, it was a fish he was talking about. <laughs> I used to love this comic book called uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. And he would uh, get into his box and do transmogrification, turn into all kinds of different animals. Yep, that's awesome. Okay, so... <laughs> We're on the Gulf of Mexico down here on 30A, and when we go live on our Facebook page, uh, paddleboarding, we could just be out on a boat, uh, you get live comments, and yeah. people are always asking questions. Boy, right. the water's beautiful. How deep is it? Mm-hmm. And then somebody chimes in, sharks with a question mark. And, and it's always a question when people see water in our area, right. whether we're in a pool or if we're on the bay. Or if we're out in the Gulf of Mexico, or even the Dune Lakes, people want to talk about are there sharks? Right. right. Yes. Right. Well, <laughs> yes, there are quite a few sharks. Yeah. The interesting thing about our area, if you, if you kind of look at it this way, outside of every outlet that pours into the Gulf of Mexico, whether it's Destin or whether it's St. Andrews, you always have sharks sitting on the outlet, waiting for stuff to be swept from the bay into the Gulf of Mexico. They, they are opportunistic feeders, so they wait for an animal or fish to come out of there, and then if it's sick or injured, they will take advantage of the situation. They are mostly fish eaters, but they will feed on sea turtles and other species of mammals, such as, such as uh, dolphins and things like that, but we're not really in their food uh, prism or channel. 
so but you have to look at it this way the coastal dune lakes we have about 15 of them so if we have 15 coastal dune lakes potentially we have 15 outlets all the time so on the 30a region or this regional area you have quite a few sharks because of all the feeding that goes on or all the flow that goes on from coastal dune lakes into the gulf of mexico so in essence you have one of the uh, heaviest or highest concentration of sharks in the Gulf of Mexico. I don't mean to freak everybody out, but as we talk about these sharks, people come come to understand what kind of sharks right. there are, and and then they'll start to understand that there's nothing to be fearful of. Okay, so when you're talking about the outflows and when they do open mm-hmm. on the lakes, uh, is it all day, or is there a time when you might see them more often than others? Well, I used to think when I'd study the outflows of these areas, I used to think it would take about a week to three weeks of flowing to finally get a food, food chain reaction where uh, the large predators would feed. But uh, after studying this, uh, these outflows, I've noticed that within a day or two, you have a heavy concentration of uh, things like ladyfish and uh, Spanish mackerel and these are great or these are great food sources for the different sharks so within about two to three days the sharks will start feeding on the outflow of of these coastal dune lakes and it's a it's a chain reaction so coming out of the outflows you'll have inland silver sides you'll have moharas which are the small little fish and then they get fed on uh, by the medium-sized fish, the, the ladyfish, and then you continue up the food chain, finally you get these large predators feeding on them. Let's talk about some of the sharks that we have in our area and uh, where, they're, where they're more commonly seen. Uh, right. we, we have quite a bit. We do. We do. Some of the most common sharks you'll find out here are black tips, uh, spinner sharks, uh, and sandbar sharks. I'd, I'd say about 80% of our sharks are going to be in, that, in those categories. And sandbar sharks and, re- and, and black tips and spinner sharks, 99% of their diet are fish. In fact, uh, when, you, when we're out surfing a lot of times, I'll see a spinner shark jumping out of the water. And it's pretty spooky because seeing a 200-pound shark jump out of the water next to you spinning is quite impressive and quite intimidating at the same time. Why do they spin? Well... Similar to great whites you see on Shark Week, you know, jumping out of the water, they ambush uh, many of the uh, fish that they're feeding on. So they'll hit a school of ladyfish, and they'll stun them when they do that, and then they'll come back into the water and feed on them. And so that's most most the reasons for for that spinning maneuver. So spinner sharks are just completely out of control. They really are. And most people, when you're walking down the beach, they don't really see them. You know, you're just like, oh, you know, but most surfers, if you ask most surfers, have you ever seen a spinner shark? They're like, oh, all the time because they sit on that second sandbar and that's where the sharks are usually feeding. And uh, we're also usually surfing in areas that have a lot of outflow because that produces good waves. So the combination of us surfing in that or surfers surfing in that region brings close encounters with some of the wildlife. We have turtles in the area. This is a great turtle location for yep. uh, laying eggs on the beach and everything. Uh, yep. turtle, turtles are a delicacy of some sharks. Is that true? That is. You have the, the tiger shark, uh, not so much the bull shark, which we do have a few bull shar- sharks, but the tiger shark they love sea turtles for some reason, especially loggerheads. Loggerheads tend to spend most of their time near the surface of the water, 
And uh, you'll notice that many of the loggerhead sea turtles have bite marks out of their fins. And, and they, they like those sharks. The greens and some of the other turtles are more adaptive to, to escape from the uh, tiger sharks. But, but you have a few of those. Now, tiger sharks aren't always near shore. Neither are bulls. These usually uh, are in 50 to 200 feet of water. So the sharks that you usually see next to shore are going to be your black tips or your sandbar sharks. And when people see it, they automatically go to bull shark, right. which is not always true. Yeah, we've seen some up and down the coast uh, from here all the way to Gulf Shores, mm-hmm. uh, some rather large-sized makos recently. Yep. Uh, yep. Why do they come in so close to shore? Well, makos are, are one of the fastest sharks in the world, and their predominant food is going to be uh, swordfish and fast-moving large uh, pelagic fish. Now, as you know, that the Destin all the way through this coast, we have a, uh, a deep water uh, bank. In other words, it goes from from two, 300 feet right up to shore in our area. And, and, and that's why we have clear water because that, that Gulf Stream can push right up from deep water into our, <clears throat> our area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the Makos uh, will feed on, on the, the swordfish and the uh, sailfish that are feeding within a half mile of our coast. In fact, I, mem- I remember um, some of the guys who are kayak fish, the guy who does low and slow, mm-hmm. he fishes out here about a half mile to a mile and catches sailfish and mahi-mahi. And that tells you these are pelagic fish or you're going to have some of the larger makos that come in in the same area. What would uh, you recommend uh, if you're just a person that goes out in the water all the time? Just be yourself or... Well, you have to be a little bit more aware at certain times of the day or the year. Yeah, there's there's something to look at, look into as far as safety, and uh, I would say that most sharks are going to feed at sunrise and sunset, mm-hmm. and that's when fish become active. That's when birds become active. Uh, fish come in closer to shore, especially ju- juvenile fish, and so that that's kind of a trigger point. Uh, so you want to be able to, uh, if you're going to be swimming at sunset, always be swimming uh, with groups of three or more people. Sharks don't generally like a lot of noise, a lot of movement. Like you think they, in movies, oh, they love movement. That's not really the case when there's a lot of people. They don't like that noise. Uh, when you're one to two persons or people out in the second sandbar, then you become more of a target because a shark is an opportunistic feeder, doesn't want to damage his body or his eyes or his gills when he is feeding on something like that. So it's a rare case in the state of Florida that three or more people have ever been attacked. It's Mm -hmm. usually in the single people. And then, and then you want to also look for food interaction. If you have a bunch of hardtails jumping out of the water and the dolphins are feeding on them, be careful because people have this idea, that, oh, when you see dolphins, you're not going to see sharks. And that's a misnomer. Sharks and dolphins feed all the time together. Uh, so, I got you. So tell us about some of the interactions you've had at the Galapagos with sharks <laughs> and uh, that maybe changed your mind that, hey, these aren't quite as scary as the movies make them out to be sure well first of all let me go let me take a step back uh i used to do a lot of shark cage diving and we still do on our hawaii program when we go out there we talk about the different sharks that we see and then you go about a mile off the the shore and get into this cage and 
you see anywhere between 10 and 30 sharks around the cage. And these are mainly Galapagos sharks. Even though it's Hawaii, it's, it's a common shark through the Pacific. And these sharks get really big. They're sometimes in a, in, in a weight of three to 500 pounds, which is a hefty shark. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so you see a certain behavior pattern when they're around the shark cage. And then you start to learn that certain sharks uh, are very are kind of mellow sharks and certain sharks are more aggressive. For instance, when you have the shark tournament down in the Florida Keys, the hardest shark to catch is going to be a hammerhead where the easiest shark to catch is a bull. And that's because the bulls have the highest testosterone among any animal in the world. So they tend to be a little bit feisty. Right. Where the great whites um, and, and things like uh, the hammerheads, they are usually diet specific and are more cautious feeders. For, for instance, a hammerhead, it'll come up to a bait or something that it likes and it will circle it for maybe 30 minutes, bump it to taste it, and then if it's not excited, it will move away. So in knowing that, when you go to the Galapagos, the predominant sharks you have down there are the hammerheads and the Galapagos sharks, which are very cautious feeders. So when I went to the Galapagos, we went to a place called Kicker Rock, which has the highest concentration of sharks in the Galapagos. And I went down to a ridge, uh, scuba diving at about 90 feet, and I had my GoPro on and uh, kind of held my breath. I know you're not supposed to do that when you're scuba diving, but I held it for just a, just a second to see what I would see. And over the ridge came two uh, hammerheads that were approximately 10 to 14 feet long. And they got within three feet of me. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I blew out my bubbles, they turned. Yeah. And that's a little intimidating when you see a big head coming towards you. Uh, and I, towards the end of the Galapagos trip that I did, I probably swam with two, three hundred sharks. And most of them being the Galapagos sharks. And they had no interest in me. They're giant fish. Once you swim with them all the time, you kind of watch behavior patterns. If the... If their fins turn downward or their body twists into an S shape, they're not comfortable with you being in the water. But I never saw that. I saw them really treating me like I'm an outsider, like I, right. they have no interest in me. And that's what you'll find in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. From a person inside the community of marine mm -hmm. biology, when Shark Week comes on TV, uh -huh. I, I always have to tell my kids, there, this is, there is entertainment value here. Yeah. Um, what is the biggest uh, fallacy of Shark Week that people can just, you need to ignore? Well, the biggest, I wouldn't say fallacy, I would just say over-dramatization, I guess, if I, if I use that word correctly. Yeah, yeah. They, they, drama, they make drama out of sharks feeding on people or surfers getting bit because that sells. Yeah, sure. And the chances of you being bit by a shark are, are less than being, being stung by a bee and dying or hit by lightning and dying. Uh, more people die every year from the simplest hail uh, storms than yeah. by sharks. Well, we covered somebody that got stung by a bee yeah. and they died. And we had, every time that happened, we went and interviewed them and made a complete week out of it. People will be terrified of bees. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, but, it, but it's entertaining. You want to know because... I think shark attacks really hit us at our most primal fear. You're, you're being fed on alive. Yeah. And, yeah. and Jaws really kind of made a whole theme on that. And so yeah. that's like 
the, la- the last way people think of dying. They don't want to be fed on by lions or sharks or bears or anything like that. I would agree with that. <laughs> so, so it hits home. Yeah. But when you, when you really go out uh, and study wildlife, you'll start to see that, once again, if people highlighted certain events, like I know divers in this area that have been attacked by Goliath groupers. And one friend of mine was in the mouth of a Goliath grouper. His half his body was in the mouth of a Goliath grouper. And you'd never hear about that, you know? And, and uh, he was able to get out of the situation. But uh, there's a spooky, uh, spooky idea when a, a fish that looks like an overgrown largemouth bass sucked you into his mouth, you know? <laughs> the size of a VW. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I think what happens is is on that shark week it it kind of dramatizes that and remember that we have we have uh very few shark attacks because sharks most of the time are diet specific uh they did a test in california over and over with great whites and they had uh a great white in a channel going meeting a fork in the road so to speak underwater one way was a dead mule and one way was fish and 99.9 percent of the time he went for the fish they they like that most of the time, right? And they're very smart creatures. They, they have these uh, pits on their on their nose that are called ampullae, the Lorenzini, which help them understand uh, a a um, your electrical sensation that's coming out of your body because everything gives off an electrical sensor from your heartbeat, and uh, so if you're dying you're going to give a weak sensor. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're dying fish, that's what a shark likes. I mean, sharks are the vacuums of the ocean or the vultures of the ocean. If we didn't have them, the ocean would be polluted with all these dead carcasses. So yeah. they're, very, they're very important. Uh, and so if you're, if you're in a situation where you've had a plane wreck or, or remember that, that sinking of, uh, in World War II where all those men got killed by uh, Pacific, uh, I, th- I think they were white tips, yeah. It's because they had been in the water for almost a week and a half, and it, many of them were dying of dehydration, and, and so the sharks did their, did their business. Uh, the only t- time out in the Gulf of Mexico I was really a little intimidated was during the oil spill in 2009, because I noticed that sharks were coming in and behaving differently than they normally behaved. And I think it's because they were feeding on a lot of the dead and decaying matter that was coming in the shore. So they were checking everything with any kind of floating debris. That's, I was out surfing and uh, a bull shark came up and kind of eyeballed me yeah. and uh, didn't make me feel real comfortable. And so I went in and I was a little spooked at that time. I was the only one, but once again, I was the only one out there. I was surfing by myself. Not a good idea in a time when there was a lot of debris coming to shore, not a good idea. Right. But the right. waves were fantastic. Oh, you got to go. You got <laughs> you got to go. So if Discovery Channel if something happened to me, Discovery Channel would be all over that. Yeah. Now, one now we have to remember that Vero Beach in Florida has a high concentration of shark attacks. Smyrna Beach too, right? That whole region. Yeah. Smyrna Beach, Vero Beach, that whole region. And the reason being is because the average visibility is probably a foot or two right and once a year they the black tips and the spinners come in to breed and at that same time it's usually late spring the surf is usually really good so you have a a high concentration of sharks breeding close to shore and a high concentration of surfers getting into the water 
and 99% of the bites are usually nips on the ankles where they confuse something and usually it's territorial or they're angry because somebody's in their habitat and they're sharks when they're breeding they usually bite each other and right. it's you know this kind of behavior aggressive behavior to find the right female there is a billboard in a doctor down in new smyrna beach mm-hmm. that advertises his clinic mm-hmm. and it has a huge shark bite coming out of the top corner of it and it's a little bit bloody on the, the corner and he's I mean, he literally is advertising to hey did you get bit by a shark yep. today come and see me Yep. Can you believe that? <laughs> well, I, it, it happens. If it's common, I guess you gotta you gotta advertise. Yeah, I was I was surfing in late spring in Cocoa Beach. I think it was early summer, and it was six thirty in the morning. Flat water, beautiful. Uh, I mean, there were waves, but the water was real calm as well. Yeah. And I counted probably four fins raising up when I was surfing, and it was and it was brown water, milky water, and I was like, you know, I'm not feeling really comfortable. And I told the other surfers, hey, I'm seeing a lot of sharks out here. But the feeling out there was like, who cares? All right. Surf's up. Surf's up. <laughs> Shark. And so, so if you, you hear these people getting bit, but part of it is because they, they don't take any precautions. Right. And, and they know the situation. All right. You know. We're going to wrap it up with just my, I have a theory on Shark Week mm-hmm. biologists. The marine right. biologists that are in these shows that you see, uh, do they have to raise funding for that episode in order to be on discovery or just discovery say all right here's a lump of money go out and film this which which is it because i have a theory on how they raise the money well i have a theory too some of these shows uh get get a group a different group sometimes they'll have a marine biologist sometimes they'll have a fishery specialist sometimes they'll have an actor who says he's a fishery biologist or marine biologist there was a show not too long ago about two or three years ago and it had mermaids have been discovered in the ocean and i don't know if you saw that i, I have I did. and they actually showed a, a handprint of a mermaid in the submarine and they were all the whole media said oh there's mermaids in fact my mom called me and she goes can you believe they found mermaids up near iceland and greenland and i said no that's a made for tv show and so a lot of times they'll they'll have these shows and pretend it's real and right. it's kind of a docudrama like megalodon like megalodon <laughs> and they they get these guys who are really good actors and they'll say i'm a marine biologist here and there and when you really dig deeper into it and google it you're like these yeah. were actors this guy was on saved by the bell exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> my, my theory on the guys that when they interview them and they're talking about finding a hammerhead uh-huh. And, and we're following this hammerhead, and we're going to tag it for the first time ever. Right. We're going to do this. Yeah. If you watch, you will. it'll change the way you watch Discovery Channel. Yeah. Uh, the Shark Week. Every episode, they say that in every episode. For the first time ever. <laughs> so I think they go in to raise funds, and they're like, hey, look. Yeah. For the first time ever, we're going to dock a boat yeah. in the sunshine, find exactly. a hammerhead, and feed it a popsicle. Right. And we're going to, at the end of the show, it's going to be an amazing revelation that right. sharks like popsicles. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> I have some friends in, who who do some of these docudramas sometimes. I know some of them. And they said that that over a majority of the filming is really dull. It's just waiting and waiting and sure. waiting. Especially oh, yeah. like when they drag the seal, the fake seal in, in uh, the... 
uh, islands off California, the Catalina Islands, and they show a shark jumping out of the water. It takes forever to For, get yeah. this get this to occur. So they, they make sh- it look like popcorn. They make it look like it happens every time, right? So so it, it, it's like your idea of what happens in the ocean is I stick my finger in the ocean and the shark's going to be right there to bite it off. Right, right. So there's a, co- a combination of drama, acting, money thrown at it, and then uh, those little bits of, of, of uh, video. And you'll notice that some of the video, I don't know if you noticed this, but... They'll have a new video out on all these sharks, but they'll recycle some of the old oh, of video course. they've used in the last five years into it to make it to make it come alive. So there's right. a lot of Hollywoodism, of course, that, that occurs there. So, uh, so give give everybody that's listening, uh, if you're interested in sharks mm-hmm. and you want to learn more and right. become uh, more educated on it, where are cool places they might be able to go? in the world and experience sharks to kind of debunk the myth of that they're just out there waiting for you well first of all i'm gonna give a little props to my sea life center there you go <laughs> we have that new sea life center there in great beach right next to modus photography and mm-hmm. hurricane uh, hurricanes oyster bar and we're going to have some bamboo sharks in our touch tanks and we are going to be talking about sharks uh, and discussing the dangers of sharks and what they feed on and how to be safe in the water and debunking some of the, some of the myths and talking about truth uh, on feeding habits. And then from that point on, you can go to places like, even locally, you can go out to St. Andrews and snorkel on the jetties and you'll see some, you may see some small nurse sharks and other species like that. But I would encourage people, the first place to go to see sharks is do a shark cage experience Uh, they have some of these in hawaii and and a lot of people don't like these because they're like okay you're you're teaching sharks to get to know humans but or to be in the same area as humans but i i don't think that's the case you need to make that connection right so people need to not only hold it see it touch it learn about it but then that make that connection with sharks by it, getting in a shark cage, learning how they swim, getting to know their their habitats, really reducing your fear, kind of see how they are a valuable fish for the environment. And then that's where they make that heart connection. Why do we need to protect sharks? Why do we need to start, stop shark finning around the world? Because they're important. Uh, they're uh, organism in, in the biome, right. in the habitat. So, you know. That's where I, what I would suggest. I got to interview the shark girl from the Bimini yeah. area from the Shark Research Center yep. down there a long time ago. And she came out with a really cool kids program that she goes around the state of Florida mm-hmm. and coastal areas. And she goes into uh, schools and teaches sharks from a different perspective. And it's it's more of a yeah. they're friends for what we need from them in the ocean. And uh, if anybody wants to Google her, Google shark girl Bimini. Yeah. And uh, she really has a cool website for kids. And, and we're going to do something very similar for Suara. We're going to be taking organisms, including uh, the, many of the species that live on uh, artificial reefs. And we're going to talk about sharks and predator behavior and bring that to the local South Walton and North Walton schools. So how can people find out about your place in Graydon Beach? Well, first of all, our website is going to be called 30aclife.com. Okay. Simple enough. And uh, when when they do find uh, that website, it will be live in about a week and a half. Okay. Uh, they can sign up for some of our shark programs, sea turtle programs, dolphin programs, come to our lab, learn about the ocean environment, then go out by boat and, and see some of these species live. 
And where can you do that? You can do it right at the reefs, right? That's right. You can do it either artificial reef uh, here, or we go out to uh, St. Andrews and Shell Island. Behind Shell Island is a great habitat for sharks and sea turtles and dolphins as well. People need to worry more about moose and hippos than sharks. True or false? True. The number <laughs> one animal that kills humans uh, around the world is hippo. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. And, and 30A visitors, we have no hippos here. Yeah. And in the United States, the, the it's funny, the number one shark attack, and this is a, a little piece of trivia, most people think the number one shark attack is bull sharks or black tips, but it's not. Do you know what it is? I'd say it's gray white on the West Coast. but It's not. No. Wow. It's the nurse shark. Or a pool shark. Yeah. It, well, or, yeah. <laughs> but, but nurse sharks yeah. are very calm sharks, but people will swim with them or go to a reef, look uh, look at a nurse shark underneath the reef, and they don't get a good view of it, so they'll pull it out, oh. and it bends around and bites them. And people do that all the time. And they just get a bruise on their hand, but that's, that's the number one shark attack. That's interesting. I did not know that. In the United States, yeah. The so. more you know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's Joe, and he's with the Appleseed uh, Expeditions, yeah. out, and uh, he's also got a great place. And great that we're going to tour pretty soon. So thank you for coming by. Yeah, you're welcome. This was a informational uh, yep. shark informational uh, talk, really, is all we were trying to <laughs> achieve here. This has been live from the 30A Radio Studios at Gulf Place in our Airstream. It's a beautiful day on 30A. We want to thank our friends at 30A Cottages for supporting our show down here. You guys get down here. It's going to be a wonderful fall. They have inlet beach to watercolor homes. A lot of them are beachfront. We appreciate Brandon and Carson for their support of our show. And, Joe, thank you for coming by. Thanks a lot. Did you miss something on today's show? No worries. It becomes a podcast, and you can find it online at 30aradio.com and in our free apps for iPhone, Android, and iPad. Special thanks to 30A Cottages, Yolo Board, and Coastal Insurance. The 30A Shows, Fridays at 7 a.m. Central Standard Time and Sunday at 10 a.m.